Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Welcome into this Golf Channel podcast. I'm your host, Will Gray. Happy to be joined today by major champion, Justin Leonard. Justin, thanks for stopping by. How are you? My pleasure. Doing great. Thank you. Good. So this is an audio medium, but I have to start with a visual question for you, even though it's not going to help the of listeners. Course. But the first thing when you walk in the door, the beard is gone. Where did the beard go? What was the decision between uh, Justin Leonard, Mountain Man, uh, finding a razor. Well, there's been a few beards. Okay. This particular beard is in somewhere in the bottom of the shower at the hotel <laughs> where I'm staying uh, on uh, Wednesday morning. Okay. Uh, so when I go home... So it's recently I, departed. It's somewhat recently departed, although there's been a couple of different versions of the beard. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I played all last season and did some of my broadcast work with the beard. Uh, and then as I was... Going down to Jackson, Mississippi as the lead analyst for uh, the Golf Channel coverage there at Sanderson Farms, I just felt like I needed to look the part. Um, I felt like the, the mountain beard, because it's not a real good-looking beard, I mean, to be honest with you. And honest with myself, it was unique. Yes, there you go. Um, but the two big gray patches in the chin, all those things, and I, so I, I got rid of it for the coverage. Um, and then I, I got a couple of nice emails from some folks here at the Golf Channel um, saying that they they enjoyed the fact that I had shaved. There you go. Uh, and so I thought, you know, if I'm really going to, you know, put into this and, and try and do more broadcasting, I need to look the part. The, the, the cool thing is that by Friday when I get home or next Friday, I'll be back into mountain man mode. And so I'll be in good shape. Very good. Yeah. Well, as you said, so you're in town this week. At Golf Channel, doing some some work for us. Uh, you know, you're making your home out in ski country these days. Where does your work life balance kind of fall right now? Where's your focus at this point in your life? I'm really focusing on the broadcasting yeah. side of things. Uh, I've got about 12 events scheduled this year, in okay. um, some various you know duties. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be doing more studio work the week at Bay Hill. Uh, but I think I'll be more at the golf course, as far as I know. Um, and then, you like that better? I, well, this is really the first time I've done Golf Central or any kind of news, and so uh, I, I'm, I've enjoyed it so far. Uh, it's a great team here. Um, you know, the shows have been, they go by really quickly. Um, so my, my only previous experience was live golf, which uh, I, I enjoy. I enjoy being a part of the action and trying to, to help people understand what somebody's trying to go through, whether it's a finish off a good round Thursday or make a Friday cut or, uh, you know, trying to win the golf tournament. I enjoy trying to, to help 
viewers and the audience get in the mind of what a professional golfer is going through. Um, so I've really enjoyed that aspect of it. This, what I'm doing this week is different, um, but I, it, it takes a lot of preparation. It, it takes, uh, uh, you know, but I'm still able to tell stories and this and that. And so um, it's been a good experience so far. I'm, I'm going to be doing, uh, you know, some stuff like early week and before rounds at the U.S. Open and and the President's Cup, and I'll mix it in with some live golf coverage and 18th hole analyst and tower announcer, and so you're just going to uh, get the, every Trivial Pursuit wedge. I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a very well-rounded <laughs> uh, broadcaster by the end of this year. So I remember talking to you. I think it was two years ago at Mayakoba, and you talked about the decision to move from Texas out to Colorado, and you said you and your wife had talked to your kids, and you said envision that we're getting home from a trip. What airport do you want us? To be landing at is that is that about right and yeah kind of what, what went into that that decision to to pack up your your things as a, as a native Texan and head north to the ski land that is a question that we asked ourselves yeah. where would be we be most excited to to be on a hame, be on a plane and flying home to really the impetus for it was we wanted to to kind of slow the pace of life down mm-hmm. um, kind of get off the grid a little bit um, it's easy to get racing around and uh, you know, a large city with traffic and you've got sports, you've got all these opportunities and um, it's just sometimes it's hard to pare those things down and and really manage your life. And with four kids, uh, six, ten are the boys and the girls are 11 and 13, um, we just wanted to, to kind of slow life down. And I don't think we realized how much we would love living outdoors, but we really do. Um, even through the winter time, it's amazing the things that are possible there if you have the right shoes and the right <laughs> gloves and the, you know the right gear, the right disposition, right to go out <coughs> to go out uh, brave the elements. Yeah, I mean it's and it's crazy how you can get a sweat going when it's 12 degrees outside. Yeah. Uh, if you're doing something you know uphill, which uh, which we do quite a bit, whether it's hiking or skinning. Um, all those things. It's uh, it's really been a great change for our family. Explain skinning to me. Skinning is uh, so it's it's a lighter ski typically. Okay. It's a lighter boot and a lighter binding. And so you attach a skin to the bottom of the ski, and then it has a uh, a grain that's exposed to the snow. Okay. And the grain in this whatever the material is, nylon or something. Uh, this, the ski will not go, it won't slide backwards. And so with the binding, you clip your toes in and then you, so your heels are free. So it's a, it's like a Nordic or a cross country move, but you go, you go up the hill. And so you skin up the hill, you, you get to the top, you pull the skin off, pack it away, and then you, you clip away. your toes back in and then you change your binding setup so you're, now your heel can clip in and then you alpine down. You um, this is all so, new for, for the Floridian. I understand. <laughs> it, listen, it was new for me up until about a year ago. Yeah. Um, but it's it's crazy the amount of people that you see uh, skinning, you know, up mountains in our town. Uh, there's a crazy race because Aspen has four mountains: Snowmass, Buttermilk, which is where the X Games just were, mm-hmm. and then Aspen Highlands and Aspen Mountain. And there's a race coming up here in a couple, three weeks. It's called the Power of Four. And there's a bunch of crazy people that actually skin up snow mass, 
ski off the side of it, get over to Buttermilk. So you end up skinning up and skiing down all four mountains. Uh, crazy. One of those. Don't check of, your cardio for the day. One of those crazy endurance races. And yes, you can definitely you could check the cardio for a month after that race. Uh, all right. So I have to ask you. It's uh, it's been 20 years now since your 97 Open Championship win at Royal Troon. First of all, does that is that sentence uh, one that makes sense? Is it? hard to believe for you that it's been 20 years since it that? is it is hard to believe 20 years in fact somebody caught me off guard with that yesterday and i said 20 years since what and then i realized what they were talking about um it's crazy that it's been 20 years uh and i i'm not going to play this year i'm going to be working for golf channel and nbc um but it, it was so much fun last year playing again at troon mm -hmm. um not saying that i won't play somewhere in the future um, but really just wanting to focus on, you know, being on this side of things for, for the next couple of years. I was going to say, what was it, what was it like for you going back even last year at, at 19 years and getting back to see some of those same restaurants and see that same course and some familiar faces? Did that, did that jog the memory bank for you? Well, it did, and, and it was um, very special. The, the members at Royal Troon gave Todd Hamilton and Mark Kelkovecki and myself honorary memberships on Tuesday night. And so we had a great party within, a smaller party within the clubhouse, and then went over to the members' tent afterwards and uh, really got to relive all three of our victories there through Q&A and just telling stories with, with the other members. And uh, so being able to become a part of the Open Championship and especially where the three of us were able to, to win uh, it was a very special week, and then you know culminated in that night. Um, just a lot of fun going through those stories and uh, and hearing some of the members' stories about where they were and what they, you know, kind of witnessed was happening at the time. Looking back 20 years ago, is there uh, a memory or or a specific moment that sticks out to you from any time during that week that that when you think back to 97 Royal Troon, what sticks out to you? In, well, funny that you should ask. The thing that sticks out really was a conversation I had with Barbara Nicholas yeah. on Saturday night. I hadn't played so well on Saturday, and I was still I was five back uh, in the next to last group. But it was a disappointing day, and uh, I was in the restaurant licking my wounds a little bit. Um, and Mrs. Nicholas came over from across the restaurant. Uh, and she, you know, kind of leaned over my table and she said, you know, you can still win this tomorrow. Um, you just need, good, you good just vote need of confidence. To, you just need to go out and do it. And I thought, you know, for Mrs. Nicholas to take the time to come over and say that, um, obviously she knows much better than I do on how to win a major championship. <laughs> uh, and so it really changed my mindset. Uh, it caught me off guard for the first few minutes, and then. The rest of the evening, I just thought about what I needed to do in order to get off to a great start. Um, and I really had the, the mindset of trying to go win the golf tournament, not lamenting uh, my third round, but really looking forward. And so that was a great lesson for me that I carried throughout my whole career um, of just it's time to shift gears. You can't help what's happened in the past. You try and learn from it and move forward. And... Um, so that whole mindset and adjustment in my attitude is 
I, I thank Mrs. Nicholas every time I see her for that conversation. So Sunday 65, you chased down Darren Clark and Jesper Parnovic. Was there ever a moment during that round where you stopped and thought, my goodness, I might actually win this golf tournament, or was it... Did you keep did you keep the, the blinders on? I don't think I ever stopped and thought during that entire round of golf. Um, I didn't really know exactly where I was. Um, it, it's just like, like Will, Will Ferrell at old school. <coughs> you just kind of blacked out for five hours. And I did pop not. Up and they're giving you the trophy. No, I did not black <laughs> out for five hours. Then um, that's how you debate. Um, but I, I did. I, I wasn't really watching the leaderboards. Um, I, I got off to a really good start and made a bunch of birdies in the front nine and. And I thought, why do I want to change my mindset now? Being five back, I had to go out and get up to a fast start. Uh, and so I just, I, I decided at that point just to keep the, the pedal down. And uh, the back nine has a totally different character than the front, um, knowing that you know it gets much more difficult. Uh, it was a, the weather was good, but it was still the back nine at Troon is more difficult than the front. And so. Um, really just kept that mindset of I'm just going to play my game and I'm going to enjoy playing with Fred Couples and I'm going to enjoy the atmosphere here and just winning the tournament never really crossed my mind um, until I was walking off the 18th green. Until that point I was just you know, trying to focus on the next shot or how I needed to play the, you know, the next hole. Just right was what was right in front of me. Uh, it really wasn't until walking off the green that I was knew or was concerned about winning the golf tournament. It seemed to work out. It worked, worked, out, out, very, worked well. out very well in that instance, yes. Uh, so putting your analyst hat on here that uh, you're you're working on this week, we, we talk so much in the industry about young guns and the, the guys 25 and under. We see Spieth, Justin Thomas, Hideki, all these guys are coming out and winning in bunches. But, but you were kind of in that position. You're 25 years old. When you win the Open, you'd won an NCAA. You'd won a U.S. Amateur. The next year, you add a Players' Championship. What was that kind of like for you being one of the younger guys, granted with a, about a Tiger-sized shadow around you, versus what you see some of the, the 25 and under crowd facing right now? Well, when you look at it, it was Tiger Woods was at the top of the game. Ernie Els was... In his, uh, he was around 30 or so. Yeah. Phil's just a couple years older than I am. Uh, Jim Furyk was making Ryder Cup teams and winning golf tournaments. Um, you know, we were kind of the young bunch yeah. at that point. And um, it's funny how quickly it changes to where now we're the old guys. Um, and it's fun because those other, you know, some of those other guys I mentioned are still very competitive. Um, and, you know, Phil, the way he's, I mean, he got off to a great start today, and he's off to a good start on, um, you know, the West Coast as far as dealing with some injuries. But um, it's interesting. And then you look, well, you know, you've mentioned Justin Thomas, and, well, Jordan Spieth's been on tour for five years. Yeah. He's just 24. Rory McIlroy is 28, I believe. 27. I 27. Jason Day is 29. Um I mean, how bright is the future of the PGA Tour with so many young players in their 20s that are still learning how to play the game, how to win, how to win major championships? Um, you know, it's a great outlook, and it's a big reason why I'm sitting here talking to you and in Orlando this week, uh, because those kids are so good, it's hard to compete with. So as we said, a lot of people will remember you for that Open Championship win in 97, but you had... 
several other close calls. The very next major, you finished second to, to Davis Love III at Wingfoot at the PGA. You were in the playoff at the 99 Open, again at the 04 PGA at Whistling Straits. When you're in a quiet, dark place at, at, at 10 o'clock at night, is there, one, <laughs> is there one of those that sticks out as, uh, as one that got away more than the other? Oh, the the uh, the PGA at Whistling Straits. Yeah. Um, I got thoroughly outclassed and outplayed on Sunday at Wingfoot. Right. Uh, I got it within maybe back to a couple shots through about 11 or 12 holes, and then Davis went on and made another birdie and and played great. And um, the the playoff at Carnoustie, I, that should have never happened to begin with. Right. Um, and Paul Laurie played so good on that Sunday. Um, you know, he deserved to win that one. The one that I really should have won was there at Whistling Straits. Um, I had a one-shot lead playing the last hole and actually hit a, a good second shot uh, in the middle of the green. And, and if, you, if you look at an aerial of that green, um, the middle of the green is probably the farthest carry, which may be the only green in the world where that's, that's true, case, yeah. uh, other than a few greens at St. Andrews. Um, but and so I hit this five iron at the middle of the green and it comes up a little bit short. But I still had an easy little pitch downhill that I left uh, eight or ten feet short and then didn't make the putt. And so that's the one that when I go to that dark place, which is more, much less often now uh, that I'm not playing nearly as much. Um, but that's that's the one that I let get away. Fair enough. Still, uh, it's a good good problem to have to have one and wish you had two. Then, then perhaps uh, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of guys other. that wish they had one. Exactly. So exactly. Right. But I do want to ask about Carnoustie in '99 because everyone you know everyone thinks about Vandeveld and certainly Paul Laurie is remembered as a champion there. And I feel like you're the missing link in that in that three person playoff. So what was that like? Kind of just the the 30 minutes that went into Vandeveld playing 18, and you you might have been packing up your shoes to all of a sudden oh my gosh. We get some more golf to play. Right. So I was in the group in front, and so Paul Laurie had already posted his score. Um, but knowing that Jean was uh, three shots clear at the yeah. time, uh, I, I just – 17 is a difficult hole. 18 is obviously difficult. I felt like I needed to make a birdie to have any kind of chance. And so I was in the, the first cut of rough on the left-hand side of the fairway, tried to hit a three-wood uh, on the green, whereas – any other time, it's probably just laying it up. Well, I went ahead, and, so I hit it in the burn. Um, was able to get it up and down for bogey, and so realizing, okay, well, I'm, I'm tied for second. Um, I'm going to go back out on the 18th green. And so I was just standing in the cor scoring trailer after signing my card and watched that whole thing unfold. Um, and literally, it, it didn't never really crossed my mind um, that I could get in a playoff. Uh, you just thought at some point common sense was going to take over, and, and, and he would drop it somewhere and chip it on the green and you know make a six, because mm -hmm. that's all he had to do. Um, and so finally, when he's waiting around through the burn in front of the green, um, and then he chips it in the bunker, I, I like, I I'm the kid of like I, I have to turn around like okay he's there in one. He's there in two, he's there in three, he's there in four, he's there in five. Counting on your six. toes at that point. Yeah, and I'm thinking, wait a second, I, I might be in a playoff. And I hadn't, I didn't play that well on that Sunday anyways. And so um, I said, okay, i got to get out of here and go. I went to the driving range <laughs> and uh, to just try and find a little something. 
um, which I never did find. Uh, <laughs> but <coughs> so as a, a four-hole aggregate playoff, we're going out to the 15th tee, which is a pretty good ways away, and there's nobody out there because most everybody thought the golf tournament was over already anyways, including myself. So Paul and I get a shuttle out there from the driving range, and we must have waited 10 minutes for Jean because he'd gone in to perhaps throw up. Um, maybe it was changed clothes. I don't know. Maybe he ordered a piece of Dover Soul, something, because <laughs> he, he was a good 10 minutes behind us. Um, and so finally then, you know, and it was the strangest, eeriest feeling in this playoff because Nobody had any idea that this was going to happen. They were, the RNA was so unprepared for it. Um, I don't think anybody saw us hit a shot the first hole and a half because they didn't. Even, they no they thought there. the tournament was over already. Um, so interesting to be a part of. And Paul, of course, continued his beautiful play in the playoff. I think he birdied 17 and 18 um, to beat us. But uh, th that was a very strange end of the week right there. So as you said, you're starting to, to transition right now into more of a, an analyst role and, and leaving the clubs a little more in the closet. When you look back at perhaps your, your career as a whole, 12 PGA Tour wins, major championship, a player's championship victory, do you ever think about yourself in terms of potential spot in the Hall of Fame? Um, no, I, I, not really. Okay. Um, and I think if, if something ever happened, it probably happened somewhere way down the road. I, I don't consider myself a, uh, really a Hall of Famer. Um, I felt like I, I, I did well with the skills and talent that I have. Um, uh, able to play on some international teams and, and uh, um, you know, and travel quite a bit with my family when they were younger, uh, which was a great experience, but Never been overly concerned or thought of myself as a Hall of Famer. Fair enough. Uh, you were one of the last guys to leave the old persimmon woods and uh, transition to newer technology, and now we've seen what technology with a capital T will do with guys averaging 325 off the tee, things like that. I thought it was, there was an interesting comment from Tiger this past week where he talked about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, the key was hitting it flush. <laughs> now the key is hitting it hard because the technology is so much more forgiving that guys can put the driver in the t front of their stance and just wail away. Do you feel, is that something you would, you would agree with? And how, does, how do you feel like the, the technology stands right now? Is it maybe even too advanced? I, I would agree with his statements completely. Um, and, and Tiger, I, in my opinion, benefited more from the technology than a player of, of my swing speed right. has. Um, whereas I've gained eight to ten yards, uh, there are guys that have gained twenty to thirty yards. Um, but I w would completely agree that that you had to hit the ball solid. Um, there was no getting around that. And now, in a lot of cases, you know, with different clubs, mostly with the woods, uh, but even some with the iron, still, um, you can get away with not hitting it as solid. Um, you know, guys now, you see more guys playing one shot mm -hmm. and not really trying to maneuver the ball both ways. Take one half of the golf course out. Take right? a half of the golf course out. Um, you don't see as many three-quarter type shots. Guys bringing the ball down. Um, 
And, uh, and that's all due to technology because the ball doesn't want to curve as much. It will still curve. I watched Lee Trevino hit some shots when I was covering the PNC father and son down here in December. The ball will still curve. <laughs> I've witnessed it. Uh, what he, you know, can if anyone's going to do it, yeah, he's. If gonna anyone's going to do it, he's yeah. going to do it. But um, it will still curve. But the game's more. It's more one-dimensional. Um, now, it doesn't mean that the players today are are less talented. They're just they're taking what the equipment is giving them and making the best of it. They don't have the opportunity to curve the ball quite as much in those things. Um, but um, it's just different. It's. I don't think it's. I don't think it's better. I don't think it's worse. It's just different. Just different. Yeah. Do you see more emphasis on club or ball? Uh, I think the technology gains is more in the clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the size of driver heads. I mean, I've got three woods now that are bigger than the driver you were talking about. Persimmon driver I used up until spring of 97. Um just the, the, the size of the heads and the compounds, the shaft materials, um, how light they can make everything to where... And I mean, when, I, when I was playing in the late 90s and early 2000s, you didn't want a super light driver because it messed up the rest of your game. Um, you didn't want a 65-gram shaft because when you went to your 120 or 130-gram steel shaft at 3-wood... It was two different golf swings. Um, Now, guys have two different golf swings. They've got a a driver swing where you watch Justin Thomas, and he's up on his toenails and both feet (laughs) at impact. Half golf, half ballet for him and Bubba. Yeah, I mean, they they don't do that with a six iron. Um, And so you see more of that. And why is that? Because that's where technology is, and, and they're making the best of it. So you have a, a unique perspective, having played, you know, for more than 20 years, and, and you've seen kind of how things have transitioned, with Tiger being at his peak, and now no one really knows what's going on with Tiger. But so many of the the young guys that we're talking about, they they all pine about, I want to be able to play against him when he's at his best, and I want to go toe to toe with him to kind of measure my medal at at a major at a big event. What uh, what words of advice or words of caution would you give to them, <laughs> having been there in the in the junior ranks and the college ranks, and really grown up, you know, going toe to toe with him through the late '90s, early 2000s, and, and really seeing him in his peak? Well, I I didn't get to go toe to toe with him, uh, you know, trying to win a, a golf yeah. tournament or a major, but certainly seeing him play and and, and at his best. Uh, I, I think it's cool that the young guys now want to see that. Yeah. I think they realize how special Tiger Woods was and is to the game of golf, to the PGA Tour, to the popularity of the game. Uh, I, I think it's some of the same respect that I had for Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer. And even for me, being a Texan, going back to Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson, um, and Ben Crenshaw and Tom Kite, those are the guys that I really looked up to and was thankful for the the careers that they had, not only that, but the, the people that they were. Um, and I think you see, 
the respect for Tiger's game and his accomplishments uh, when these young guys say that. And I, and I hope they do, too. Uh, I'm more, I was more optimistic about them seeing that after Tiger played in the Bahamas mm-hmm. uh, back in December than these two weeks that he's played so far this year. Um, I don't think he's fully healthy. I don't know if it was the flight or if maybe he got to feeling good enough to where he was uh, increasing his workout and increasing his practice, maybe to his detriment. Um, I saw a lot of freedom and a lot of good things in the Bahamas that I I don't think any of us have seen these last couple of weeks. And so um, I'm hopeful that he that he gets healthy and that it happens quickly because the longer it takes, um, I think the less chance there is of, of you know, those young guys seeing Tiger uh, at, a, at a really high competitive level. I'll get you out of here with a couple rapid-fire ones here. What is your favorite non-major course? Favorite non-major course, Sawgrass. Really? I, I always, for some reason, that course, I, I, I love it off the tee. Um, I love the angles and the strategy of the golf course. I've just always been comfortable there. Have you seen it since the renovation? I have not. Okay. Are you? Are you? Uh, you have any thoughts on it? I mean, have you seen um, what they've done to it? <coughs> I know the the biggest change was the 12, 12. hole. Yeah, twelve. Um, and I've heard it's kind of semi drivable. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if they move the tee up, but otherwise you kind of play it out to the right and pitch yeah. it on. Um, you know, I don't know that the golf course needed much of anything. It's really, if you look at the list of, of winners there over the years, uh, there's been no single characteristic that really, I mean, yeah. nothing that even jumps out at you as far as, uh, well, you've got to do this well or that well. Um, I think it's just very well balanced. Um, but adding a little excitement, 12 was... If there was a hole in the back nine that needed help, that was it, and they've helped it. And so uh, I look forward. I'll be in there uh, in some capacity in, in May and looking forward to seeing some of the changes. Would you trade your Claret Jug for a win in any of the other three majors? Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, just it's very special, the whole experience of, of playing over there and shifting gears to play a game that relies or relied more <laughs> upon you know the getting the ball on the ground quickly yeah. and uh, you know if, if I traded it I'd have to trade all the experiences and stories and uh, comments and I wouldn't trade that for the world last one do you get more questions comments whatever about 97 open championship or about making the putt at Brookline for the 99 Ryder Cup I've never had a person tell me, I remember where I was standing when you made the putt <laughs> to win at to win at Trim. <laughs> I have somebody once a week tell me I remember where I was and here's what I was doing when you made that that putt at 99. Do you still have that god awful shirt? I got two of them. Wow, really? Yeah. The bonus. Yeah. And actually, somebody tweeted me um, asking if I was watching the Ryder Cup and if I was if I still had the shirt. So I put the shirt on. <laughs> And had a picture taken from over my shoulder. Watching this Ryder Cup. I was watching the Ryder Cup this last year (laughs) in my 99 shirt. There you go. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you much for the time. This has been been great. Uh, All the best this year. We've got a little golf and a lot of talking about golf for you in store. But uh, it'll be good to to see you in the halls around here. 
having major championship credentials in the break room never hurts too much. So Justin Leonard, thank you very much for joining us. This has been a Golf Channel podcast. I'm your host, Will Gray, and we'll see you next time. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.